As always, thank you for tuning in today to our Wednesday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today, we will be continuing our study in the book of 1 Samuel. So let's join Pastor Dave now. Chapter 24. When we first, um, uh, a couple weeks ago, as we ended here in chapter 23, Saul was, um, the last time we left off in chapter 23, Saul left from pursuing David because the Philistines had invaded the land. And so Saul left to do battle with the Philistines, and if he was um, following after the Philistine, it means that they are retreating back of their own land. So look what happens in verse 24, uh, chapter 24, verse 1. Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines. So what that tells me is that Saul went, uh, as the Philistines invaded the land, Saul went to do battle with them, and he won, or was winning, because they're now retreating, and he's following after them. He's following after them. And what that shows me is that even though God might be granting you a victory, even though there might be something going great in your life, it doesn't necessarily mean that everything is good between you and God. Because Saul is still unrepentive, he's rebellious towards the things of God, and yet God still uses Saul to protect the people there in Israel. And I find that fascinating. It could give us an insight into Paul's, uh, Paul, Saul's psyche a little bit. Um, that he's probably thinking that, you know, I'm going after David, I'm not going to let him inherit the kingdom uh, here in Israel. Um, and, and as he goes off to fight the Philistines, he's having victory. So he's feeling pretty good in the flesh, that maybe he can thwart the purposes of God here. And so we come back here, and it says uh, that it was told to him, saying, take note, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. And so we're going to show a picture. Actually, that is En Gedi right there, just kind of a close shot of one of the falls of En Gedi. But that's En Gedi that we're going to be going to in November uh, when we go to Israel there in, uh, by the Dead Sea. And you see green there right now, but as you're walking up to it, there's no green whatsoever. I mean, it's in the desert. Uh, and so right above the Dead Sea, and, and then as we start to hike up, we see all these little falls, and then we follow the stream up, and then we come to this place where it's just shooting out of the rock, and it's very refreshing. It's just a, a, a beautiful, beautiful place, and so uh, we're going to be going to that, so that's kind of a, a neat thing to see. Um, it, in Getty, actually, I could use this right now, but you already see it, and it really does no good. It's for the other slide, really, is what this is for. Um, but, but En Gedi means a fountain of a kid. It means a, a fountain for goats is what it means. And, and so way above what you're seeing right there, there's uh, rock faces. There's all sorts of caves. We'll see ibexes, which is a mountain goat. That's what they consider mountain goats are the ibexes there. They have huge horns and just beautiful. Um, and so uh, we'll be able to see that when we're hiking on that trail. Um, you'll also probably see a bunch of rock badgers, which is the Hyrex, and they're really cute. They look like a, a kind of an overground uh, prairie dog is what they look like. And so um, you'll be able to see that when we get there as well. Um, the last time I was there, I actually saw a jackal, so that was kind of cool. You know, I've seen all sorts of wildlife there. So maybe we'll see some of that stuff when we go there. So they're here at En Gedi. Uh, known as the rocks of the wild goats, and so there's ibexes everywhere up there. 
Um, there's plenty of caves where David and his men could hide out in. Um, Saul hears that David is there, so he goes to find him there in En Gedi. Obviously, a, a good water supply there for his men as well. And so it says in verse 3, so he came to the sheepfolds by the road. Now, this is kind of fascinating to me. Um, I, I'm, I'm not trying to read into it more than I need to read into it or anything like that. But this information about the sheepfold could give us a little bit of a hint there of who the tr- true shepherd of Israel is going to be. Because here you have Saul and David, and by the end of this chapter, even Saul agrees that David is going to be the next king. That he's the one that is going to be the true shepherd of Israel. And so it says that, um, and then it goes on to says where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave, so in the very back part, and there's obviously another exit there that they probably can go in and out of. Um, when it says Saul wanted to attend to his needs, that means exactly what it sounds like. It's actually a euphemism that, um, that he went to go to the bathroom. And in the, old, in the uh, old King James, it says he went in to cover his feet. And so, uh, not that I need to picture this for you, but when you take your robe off to sit down, you notice how it covers your feet. So that's what that means. All right? And we don't need to go any further than that. All right? This is all you need to know. So, as that was taking place, uh, it, it brings a striking resemblance to this exact same thing happening in Judges chapter 3. You might recall that um, Ehud, who was the uh, judge of Israel, went in to meet uh, Eglon, the king of Moab. And so, as he went in to meet him in his, in his, in his house there, uh, Ehu killed him, put, put the uh, dagger right into him, it says, and, and I guess uh, Eglon was so fat that it said it, it, it kind of like was lost in there. It kind of pushed it in, and then it just kind of kept going, and he lost it, you know. And so he dies, and so he closes, the, uh, he closes the door there, and meanwhile his servants are outside, and they go up to see if he's okay, and they go up there, and they notice the door is closed. And they're thinking, well, he's probably gone to cover his feet, is what it says. So he's in the bathroom until it became an embarrassing long time. And it says that when it became to the point where it was uncomfortable that he's been in there so long, that's when they walked in there and they saw that he was dead. And so it has the the same meeting there in Judges chapter 3 as well. Well, Saul himself almost becomes like Eglon here. Um, He was certainly... Um, in a very precarious position, to say the least. He is, um, he is ready to be killed by David and his men as they stayed in the recesses of the cave, meaning the way back. Uh, again, there's no, there was obviously some uh, other exit on the way out. Uh, and then it says, Then the men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. Now, I looked this up, you know, just my own computer program and everything else. I'm going, okay, where did it say that? Where did, G, where did God himself specifically say that I will give you, um, that, that I will um, deliver your enemy into your hand? And I can't find it anywhere. Um, and, and so one of two thoughts kind of crossed my mind here. One, God never said it exactly that way. And David's men are kind of twisting his words. 
you know, with all the things that, hey, you've been, you know, anointed king. We know you're going to be the king next. Hey, this is God's way of delivering him in your hands, just like he said. Well, God didn't say it like that. He didn't say it like that. And quite often we can do that. We can twist the words of the Lord that we've heard specifically from him, but we kind of take that and we kind of twist it to make it kind of conform to what we want it to say. That's a very, very dangerous thing to do. Uh, because God never told him that. He never told him that. And so, um, or it is quite possible, um, I actually went, read one commentary that it's quite possible that, uh, that God told him that. But here's the thing, that didn't happen. That's not the way that it happened. And so I look at it, and I think it's more the first thing that I kind of thought of is the fact that uh, that it wasn't, ever said that way, and it's really his men that are prompting him, trying that peer pressure, you should do it, go do it, this is your chance, oh, just think, all this running around, all this suffering will be ended once and for all, he has no idea, this is perfect. That's always a red flag to me when somebody wants to exhort and encourage me, and said, this is the perfect situation, oh, this is perfect, that right there makes me want to go, hold on, hold on, I don't think there's anything perfect in this world. And uh, sometimes when things are too easy, there's a reason for that. And, and so we have to take a step back. And, and, and thank goodness that David really thought this through. Instead, it says, and David arose secretly, cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now, um, in this chapter 24 and the next chapter 25, we're going to see David is tempted to take matters into his own hands. He's being tempted right now. Take matters in your hands. It's right there. Do it. And then we're going to see this also in chapter 25. The difference between this chapter and chapter 25 is that the Lord really grabbed hold of his heart. His conscience really grabbed hold of him saying, this is not the time to do this. Chapter 25, he was furious. And it was Abigail that came and stopped him from shedding blood. She's the one that did that. Um, stop David in this rush to judgment. The point here is there's an avoidance here. He is being tempted or tested uh, in the way of blood guilt. He is, David, are you going to send the throne by way of blood? Are you going to send the throne by waiting on the Lord as he delivers it to you? And that's what he has before him. And that happens a lot with ourselves as well. You kind of have to ask yourself some questions sometimes. If the reason you're promoted is because of blood, you bash the other guy, you're always promoting yourself, and you're totally slamming the other person you got promoted, are you really thinking that's from the Lord? I'm not so sure I would. As believers here, I believe this speaks to us because we're not to exalt ourselves. Psalm 37, 34 says, Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. 1 Peter 5, 6, Therefore humble yourselves on the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. That speaks of his timing. In Psalm 75, 6 and 7, it says, For exaltation comes neither from the east nor the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. When you're truly waiting upon the Lord, 
He will do these things. But sometimes you have to kind of look at where you are in life and go, gosh, did I get myself here? Or is the Lord the one that really placed me over here? I don't know about you, but I'm hoping when I look at my life and and things like that, believe me, I've made mistakes in this area before, but I really want to know that where God placed me, it's because he placed me there. It's not because it was a rush to judgment on my part. It was a rush for me to do this or that. Um, we have a tendency to do that, that we hear this crisis situation by the world saying, hey, you got to put in your application by this time, or you got to do it this way. Hey, we need that money right now. And, and we go, oh, God, and, and you try and do whatever you can to get that money right there and then to put down on this house or it's going to be gone. And it's kind of like, well, you know, if God wants me to have the house, I, I really don't see the rush factor here. You know, in his due time, let him exalt and don't promote self, you know, Saul was constantly promoting himself, and and David here is waiting on the Lord. He's waiting on the Lord. Now, as we read here, it says that David arose and secretly cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Now, it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he saw that he cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master. The Lord's anointed to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. Now where it says that David restrained his servants, it means that he rebuked his servants. And when you look up that word rebuke, it means to tear apart. It means he really lit into them. And he pretty much looked at him probably square in the eye and said, anybody touches him, I will kill. You know, he, he rebuked them. He tore into them and he made sure that nobody is going to touch Saul. That's how convicted he was of cutting the corner of his robe there here uh, from what it says here. Now, f- from two weeks ago, we had mentioned on a Sunday, I'd mentioned that I'd, I'd get to this in a little bit more detail fashion. We went over the fact that with the woman with the issue of blood, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, and we talked about how those are the tassels, the sitsits, I think is what they're called. And so um, when we look at this word tassels, it is speaking of the same place of the corner of Saul's robe. It is speaking of one of these tassels. And we spoke about how uh, the root word of this word uh, tassel or, or sits is actually blossom. It means to blossom. And when we asked what, what we thought that the word blossom meant, we were encouraged not to think the way the Western people think uh, in the way of appearance, but to think with function. And what does a blossom do? It bears fruit is what it does. It bears fruit. So it's in Numbers chapter 15, verse 39. It says, You shall have a tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord. So um, go ahead and put up the, the tassel there. So we can kind of see it. So this is kind of what one of the tassels looks like here as we're reading Numbers 15. And you shall have a tassel that you may look upon it, remember all the commandments of the Lord, and to do them, that you may not follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined, that you may remember and do all my commandments. And so it speaks of commandments, and we're going to get into this here in a second. In ancient Israel, men wore four-cornered 
garments, outer tunics, and these tassels are tied to the four corners. The outer garment is known as a talit and eventually evolved in the more formal prayer shawl that we see the Jewish men have these days. Um, but why the tassels? These tassels are, again, to remind the Jewish male of his responsibility to fulfill God's commandment. In fact, these tassels are tied into 613 knots to constantly remind them of the 613 laws of Moses. Um, They're hanging on the four corners of your garment in full view of everyone, including yourself. They'd be a constant reminder to walk according to God's law. The Hebrew word that translates law, it literally means to walk. And so they're walking and, and, and they're there where their feet are walking is remind them to walk in the Lord, to walk according to his law. Today, because Jewish people wear Western clothes, they keep this law by wearing a four-cornered garment as an undershirt. Yet they bring the tassels out over their belt. You'll see that a lot in Israel as well. Um, and so they're kind of wearing uh, a shirt, but their, their, their prayer shawl sticking out and you can see the tassels. Outside of, uh, that go from the inside of their shirt outside. Um, we also find that these are um, also prayer shawls worn today. And it's one of the reasons why when you go to um, the Western Wall, you'll see the prayer shawl completely over their head. And what they're doing is that they're walling themselves in underneath the authority of God is what they're doing there. It's, it's putting themselves under the authority of God. Um, and so this is another reason why in Matthew 6, 6, when we are told to go into our closet or our secret place when it comes to prayer, that that is considering the prayer shawl at that point as you pull it over yourself, you are now in a place where it's just you and the Lord and all outside activity and all distractions of the world are gone. And so that is what that's speaking of in Matthew 6, 6. Now, the interesting thing that I find here is that these fringes, these tassels, are definitely to remind them of the Lord. But each, uh, you will have eight strands here, okay? Now, this, is, this isn't really the best picture because it's really uh, seven white strands and one blue strand, okay, uh, when it comes to the uh, tassels here. But there are eight strands that make up this whole tassel, um, you have seven white, you have one blue. The seven stands for purity and completeness. The blue actually speaks of, um, the, it's called the servant thread. Uh, and, it, and eight speaks of new beginnings. Um, this blue thread here is very interesting because it resembles the sea. The sea resembles the sky. The sky represents um, the heavens where the throne of God is. And so that blue thread represents heaven where the throne, where the throne room of God is. Um, you'll notice that there are five knots here, okay? You have, uh, you have one, two, three, four, and five, okay? Five represents the uh, Pentateuch, the law, the Torah, okay? And then you have one, two, three, four wrappings there. And the wrappings are very, very significant. The wrappings here, each Hebrew letter has a numerical value, uh, the numerical value of the Hebrew letters that spells out Yahweh is 26, okay, is 26. The number one law to the Hebrew is the Shema. The Lord is one. That's Yahweh Akkad, 
is what that is. A kad's equivalent of the letters there is 13. Okay? So, because of that, in the very first wrappings here, you have, you have uh, seven wrappings right here. Then you have eight wrappings. Okay? And then you have, um, after that, you have 13 wrappings, I think it is. And so that's an equivalent of 26 wrappings. And as I look at this, I, I, I notice right here, and these are 13 wrappings. So this wrapping, this wrapping, this wrapping is supposed to add up to 26. I think I have one up here that's not really up to speed here. But 26 is Yahweh. And then the third one is 13, which is a cod. It means the Lord is one, is what that means. The Lord is one. And so when they look at that, they see the Lord is one. They see the Pentateuch uh, of the law. And then they also see that because of this, um, when, they, when, they, um, when you take the whole tassel here, and the, the word tassel, zitzit, is um, when you add up all its letters, it's 600. And when you take the eight threads and the five knots, you get 613, which is this, the exact amount of uh, commandments that are in the Torah, okay? And so with the Torah, you have 30, 365 negative commandments, thou shalt not, and you have 248 positive commandments, thou shalt, okay? So the reason why I wanted you to see this is because there's huge significance in this tassel. It wasn't just, you know, sometimes we look at it and said, oh, just remember the law. There is so much in the wrappings and everything else that speaks of the commandments of God, of walking in God, that it's the Shema, the Lord is one. And this is to remind them to walk in the ways of the Lord. In Matthew 23, when it says, you have enlarged your borders, he's talking about the tassels here, that some of the Pharisees thought that they were better because they had longer tassels than other people. That meant that they were more spiritual and things like that. And so here's one of the, uh, the, the tassels here that you can kind of look at here. These tassels also are known for a person's authority. So this would have been on Saul's robe. This would have been on Saul's robe. And so we find that David goes in and he sneaks in and he humiliates Saul by going in there and cutting off the symbol of his authority. And as he does that, David gets convicted here. It says in verse 5, it says, Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. What did David see himself doing? He's taking matters into his own hands. Symbolically, he's taking matters into his own hands. And that convicted him. That convicted him. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master. The Lord's anointed to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. David was upset with himself because he understood to steal someone's tassel was to steal his authority. And even though David did this to prove to Saul that he was not trying to kill him, he came to that realization afterwards. At the time he was doing it, he was doing it to humiliate Saul. And that bothered him. And so David immediately went out of the cave and he laid himself on the ground and he humbled himself before Saul to prove to Saul that he was not trying to kill him. Never can the bowels of darkness 
Well, that's all we have time for today on this Wednesday edition of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. Tune in tomorrow as we continue our study in 1 Samuel. If you live in the area of Castle Rock and are looking for a church to call home, be sure to come by and visit with us. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m. and our Sunday service times are at 9 and 11 a.m. A combined junior and senior high class meets at 5 p.m. on Saturday evenings. On Sunday mornings, high school meets during the 9 a.m. service and the junior high meets at the 11 a.m. service. Our young adults ministry, Arise, meets every Friday at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Castle Rock. Child care is offered for all of our weekend services. Calvary Castle Rock is located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell Gas Station. For more information about us or this radio ministry, please visit our website at calvarycr.com or download our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also call the church office at 303-663-2514. Thank you again for joining us today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God. Amen.